Hello, Eastside family. Ain't nobody. I love it, I love it, I love it, because it sounds like I'm rolling out of the hills of Tennessee, but it tears my grammar teacher wife up. And my mama, who was a nurse that wanted to be a grammar teacher, and my other mama that was a grammar teacher, it just tears them up. But there ain't nobody love me like Jesus. We are so happy if you're joining us online this weekend. If you are our guest, we are so privileged that you've chosen to join us this weekend. And my prayer has been all the way along this weekend is that in some way you're encouraged, challenged, or blessed by your time worshiping with us. Last week, Hayes broke out this new sermon series called Parenting Isn't for Sissies. For those of you that have done it, for those of you that are doing it, can I have a resounding amen? amen. There is no more difficult job on the face of the earth than taking what Haste said, and is the truth, a little savage. Remember the Minnesota study? Okay, the Minnesota study. If you missed that, you need to go back and watch last week. Take time to do that. This savage that is brought into the world and trying to bring them up into a normal, rational, God-loving human being. There is no more challenging task, God-given task for us. Now, with that being said, to be honest, um, I'm a father of a 28-year-old daughter. Name's Elizabeth. Uh, many of you all from east side here know her. She leads worship occasionally for us. She's on the vocal team she led over with the students. Um, blessing, blessing in my life. I'm also the father of a 24, soon-to-be 25-year-old son by the name of Tate, who is a nurse in Evansville and lives down there. Um, but to be real honest with you, if I'd had my druthers, they probably would not have been in this world. And some of you are going, what? What's the dude talking about? I'm, I'm being dead serious. 34 years ago, when my wife and I got married, I struggled with the idea of, do I really want to bring a child into this world? I was doing student ministry at the time. We lived in Ohio, and I was working with students of all ages. I was watching little kids all the way up through high school and into college. And I was watching the struggles that parents had with their kids. I was remembering the struggles that I had with my own parents. And I was watching our culture begin this dramatic shift that was accelerating year by year by year. And you got to remember that was 30 years ago. Our culture now today is shifting as quickly as it was a yearly is now almost monthly if not weekly. So the challenge that you all have as Christian parents in attempting to raise godly children is like out of the roof. Your challenge, it is just so, so unbelievable. It's almost to me overwhelming and daunting. But the truth is, is that God has given us some very distinct principles that can help us in doing that. Last week, Hayes started off our series with this idea of 
the early years and this idea of yikes. Anybody else have a yikes moment when your kids were born? I had a dandy. Um, our own Dr. Burner delivered Elizabeth. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know for a long time they're going to come. What is it, like nine months, ten months? I don't know. It seemed like an eternity. Whatever it was, we're, we're in the hospital room, and uh, it, 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 it was, uh, let's just say that was an experience. <laughs> to say the least, that was an experience. Well, finally when Elizabeth showed up, Doc Burner turns to me and he says, Congratulations, John, you have a daughter. Now, I can't remember if I vocalized this or if I just thought it in my mind. I was like, Doc B, you might want to check again because God would not give me a girl. I have no idea how to do girl. I had a brother. I don't know girls. You wouldn't, he would not do that to me. Joke on me. So there was a yikes factor there. This week, we're looking at the idea of these student years, say elementary school through high school, and we got this idea of help. And some of you are there. You're like, what in the world do I do? What, where do I go? Where do I turn? And you're looking for anything to try and help develop your students into godly young people. Then the next week when Haste will be back, actually next Thursday and Sunday, Haste will be speaking on the idea of uh, where our children are kind of up and grown. And it's this idea of, oh, no, are they really grown? And, and I look at it, and I go, man, my kids are 25 and 28, and I'm, where did the time go? I mean, am I really as old as I look? <laughs> yep. And then we're going to cap the series off with this idea of the senior years, of where the roles kind of reverse. Um, where the parents who, who cared for us, who took us as those savages, loved on us, disciplined us, and the tables are turned, and now we're trying to help them. Whole different challenges, whole different challenges. But our idea for this was we didn't want to just kind of do this pop psychology where it's like, well, here's an idea and here's an idea and here's an idea and here's an idea. We wanted to get down and we wanted to find out some biblical truths. Are there biblical truths that God gives us in helping raise our children during these student years? Well, my text that I was given was Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. And out of this, we're going to see this idea. The first truth or encouragement that Paul gives us is that we need to teach obedience and honor. Teach obedience and honor. You see, teaching our children to obey is more than just good parental advice. It is a foundational principle. It is a priority that stems all of its way back, all the way to the Ten Commandments, and is repeated numerous times throughout Scripture. When it's all boiled down, it is no more difficult than this. It is a child's duty to obey. And it is the parent's mandate to teach that obedience. Parents, and I'm just going to be frank with you. Parents, it is time for some of you to step up 
and be a parent. Thank you. It amazes me to walk through a store anymore and kids are ruling the family. It is time for the parents to say, hey, listen, whether you like it or not, I'm in charge. You don't like it, tough. At a certain point, you say, there's a door. Figure it out. Parents, it's time for us to step up and be the parent that God has intended for us and that our children desperately need and truly deserve. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. We want nothing more than for our children to obey us. We want nothing more than for them to listen to us. We want nothing more than for them to re respond appropriately when asked to do a task. But here's the problem. See, parents, we can't just expect them to do that. It's not something that they're born with, this innate quality of you say jump and they say how high. It is something we have to teach. It is something we have to model. It is something we have to take time and energy to instill these truths in them. Now, let's chase this a little bit farther. There's also some other considerations that really cause us to struggle with obedience in our lives. Let's look at some of these. The first one is a very sin nature. All of us are born with a nature to sin. Have you ever had a two-year-old and you tell him, do not touch that knob? It is a matter of time until that rascal's grubby paws are on that knob. Just, that's just, they can't help it. But the reality of that is it doesn't stop when they're little. Anybody else struggle with the idea? You walk down a hallway and there's a wet paint sign and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder how wet that is. And you're like, every ounce of your being it takes to keep your hands in your pocket and not touch and figure out. It's that sin nature. It's that disobedience that is just down rooted inside of us. It's that idea where Paul said, why do I do what I don't want to do in Romans 7? We strive, we struggle, we do everything we can, but yet that sin just wells up within us. And it is a daily, if not hourly, if not minute by minute battle for some of us. Not only do we have this sin nature, but we also have this idea that we live in a corrupted world. I mean, you don't have to look very far to see everything is just, I mean, biblical truth the world is doing everything it can to just obliterate that. I mean, they're trying to do just, I mean, eradicate absolute truth. They're wanting to make truth whatever truth is to you. So whatever it is to you, that's cool and that's good. But the, I mean, think of the, we see the chaos that is coming out of that. 
But it's nothing new. We think, man, this, the, I mean, here in the last several years, we look at the, how crazy our culture has become. It's really nothing new. This idea of this corrupt world, Satan's been at it from the very beginning. Remember what he did to Eve when she was in the garden? Is that really what God said? Is that really what he meant? Nah, you're, nah, did he really mean you're going to die? He's questioning. Is that, is that really what he meant? Surely not. Surely not. Timothy, Paul taught Timothy the same very principle in 2 Timothy 3. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So you see this idea that we craft this nice, neat, little organized world around our kids gets blown up. It gets blown up when we put them out. When, 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 when they go to school, when, when they start participating in activities with other young kids, or this world that we've tried to create and protect our children, it, it starts crumbling because our kids start seeing things that we would have never intended them to see. Our kids start hearing things that we never intended for them to hear. And they're subjected to behavior that we would deem unacceptable. But yet they see it. And oftentimes nothing is done. And in the back of their little minds are going, hmm. Maybe I can get away with that here. See, that's that corrupt world that is always working on us and working on our kids. And if those two weren't enough to deal with, then we just simply had the idea that they're childish immaturity. I mean, they are children. Sometimes they're ignorant. They don't know any better. And the simple childishness, child, I don't even want to try to say it anymore, makes them even more vulnerable. They simply aren't grown up, and they don't know any better. So parents, like I didn't need to tell you, we have a huge, huge task with all kinds of potential potholes. And here's the truth, and I want to read this. God's intention is that parents shape the moral will of their children by setting biblical standards of right and wrong. That should sound familiar because it's what Hayes talked about all last week. Teach them right from wrong. Show them the way. And then we are to consistently enforce those standards until our children learn how to conduct themselves with appropriate behavior. A person who grows up with a sense of obedience, a sense of discipline, and a sense of respect toward his parents will be someone who can make any relationship work. God's idea is for all human relationships to be based on what is learned through obedience in childhood. Now here's the rub with that. Sometimes we think that obedience is simply taught. 
But oftentimes it is more caught because of the way you model your life. You understand what I mean by that? Okay. Titus chapter 2, Paul wrote to, 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 the, to, to Titus here. He says, in everything, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. If you want your students and your children to live obedient lives, you better be doing that. Get my drift? You want your children to behave a certain way? You better be doing that. Are you living a life of obedience? Are you honoring first? Are you living a God-honoring life? Yeah, I know we all make mistakes and we are sinful beings. We all struggle with that sin nature. Again, all the way through our lives. But are you obedient to the authorities above you? Or do you balk and whine and complain? See, it doesn't take much for our kids to read our example. And if our actions don't back up our words... We have a huge, huge conundrum. A conundrum that doesn't fly because I tried it. Do as I say, not as I do. Man, they read right through that. They see right through that. That's just an excuse. Excuse for us. You see, our children in learning to obey us as parents sets them up to succeed in obedience to God and his desires for our life. When my son Tate was little, um, I love my son. I love him to death, but he is why I look the way I look. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest with you. Uh, Elizabeth that I call sis so much, she was, she was one of those kids that, I mean, I could just look at her and she would like melt like chocolate on a 110 degree pavement. I mean, she just wilt. Um, Tate would look at you and go, is that all you got? <laughs> um, he, he, he just... He, I love my son. <laughs> I better not say it. I was going to say he's like his mom. <laughs> he had nothing to do with his mom. He was too much like his old man. He had this defiant spirit within him. Somewhere along the line, we finally got through to him that dad was the boss. He didn't understand, it just when we said, finally, we got him to this point, he understood, dad is the boss. If dad says it, that's the law. It's the way it is in our home. It's what we're going to do, it's where we're going to go. Now, in that, that little rascal still struggled because out of that, we're trying to teach him, hey, dad may be the boss in the home, but there's a bigger boss. We got a God that rules everything. I wish that ornery little cuss would often look at me and go, yeah, but you ain't the boss boss. <laughs> Struggle so hard. Now, verse 2 deals with this truth of honoring parents. And this truth goes beyond just obedience. Honor 
is more of uh, maybe an attitude. Uh, obedience is an outward show. Honor comes from the heart. You've, you've probably heard of this little boy that was in jumping on the bed. I mean, he is tearing it up. Dad tells him, Timmy, quit jumping on the bed. Timmy keeps jumping on the bed. Dad goes, Timmy, quit jumping on the bed. Finally, Timmy sits down, and under his breath, he goes, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still jumping on the inside. <laughs> See, that's obedience, but he wasn't honoring. See, the idea of honoring, when you look at that biblical word honoring, it, it has this idea that it carries weight, that it is, it is weighty, it is heavy. When you honor somebody, you hold them up in high regard. You hold them up in esteem. You hold them up in a special way. It's the way husbands and wives are supposed to treat each other. When you honor each other, they are held up. There's a oneness that comes out of that and an intimacy that is able to happen because of that. When parents honor their children, their children know they're accepted and that they're unique that they're secure and they have purpose in life. And when children honor their parents, the family will be healthy as kids learn and grow in an environment of love and acceptance. See, again, parents, example goes a long way. Do you show honor to your parents? Do your children watch you treat your parents with the honor that they deserve, that God has called us to. That's the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Do you treat your, your mom and dad, if you're blessed to still have them, do you treat them that way? If not, they're going to see that. And when you want that from them, if they've not seen that from you, again, it's hard to ask them to do something that we ourselves are not willing to do. Do you truly honor God? Is He your priority? If so, your children are more likely to see and catch that. But if they see your relationship with God as being something that you do when it's convenient or when you can work it into your schedule and your time, then don't be surprised when that is their attitude and their approach with their relationship with their Heavenly Father as well. So again, modeling, being the example, speaks so much. In Luke's gospel, there is a really neat verse that describes Jesus as he grew up in his home. And it is a verse that we would do well to try and help our students achieve. In Luke, 50, Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom in stature, and in favor with God and man. He was complete. And my hope is, my hope is, when you pour into your children, and when you are doing everything you can to teach them obedience and model obedience and teach them to honor and model honor, that you will be able to sit and read, and Elizabeth grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. And Tate grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man.
You see, if we're able to teach and model those traits to our children and see them develop those character traits in their lives, they are well on their way to living out that verse in their life. Now, a second truth or encouragement that Paul has in this little section of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6 is here in verse 4, and it is this idea to parent consistently. Look at verse 4 with me. Fathers, yeah, dads, we get thrown under the bus. No more difficult than that. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Other translations have translated this as don't stir up anger in your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. And again, God starts out really heavy here on dads. He lays out this negative command warning us of what might happen if we're too harsh or heavy. But you see, God understands that we are fallen creatures who are prone to be too hard on our kids. I wish I had a dollar for every time my mom would look at me and she say, John, do not exasperate your children. Because I had high expectations. And I had high goals for my kids. I set the bar high. I wanted to see them achieve. I wanted to see them strive. I wanted to see them do well. But sometimes, and I'm just, I, Kathy and I talked about this last night. I'm, I'm not so sure that times, well, I, there are times I blew it. Times are royally, royally messed up. And you see, when you exasperate your children, you discourage them. And when you discourage your children, then their views start going is this really something I want? Is this really a life that I desire for me? Now, does this apply to moms? I think it does. But I think it applies more to dads because, honestly, most of the time, dads are the hammer. Moms are the, oh, it's okay. That wasn't Mama T. Mama T could be the hammer when she needed to be. Don't exasperate. Don't discourage your children. Paul shared this truth with the early church in Colossae. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Well, let's try and make this practical. What are some ways that we as dads or even moms, we can exasperate our children? One of them is by being, too over, or being overprotective. being overprotective. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's different levels of protection for different levels of age. Protective is not letting your elementary kids play in the street. Overprotective is not letting your high schooler leave the house. Laban, a dad in the Old Testament, is a perfect example of an overprotective dad. In Genesis 31... 
He dealt with the dishonesty of Jacob, and because of his overprotectiveness of trying to protect his daughters from everything that was going on, his daughter's assessment was that he didn't love them. It's the last thing we want for our kids. We want them nothing more than to know we have their back regardless. Another way we can exasperate our children is to overindulge them. And this is the exact opposite of being overly protective. Excessively indulgent parents are just as likely to provoke them to wrath as those that stifle them. Growing up in high school, I had a buddy that I played football with. Uh, as a 17-year-old, I thought he had the greatest life in the world. As a 17-year-old. He was raised by a mom and dad who had already raised, I think he had three or four brothers and like three sisters. He came along, they were way later in life, and they were wore out. I mean, it was, there's no more difficult than that. They were wore flat, wore out. And they were basically like, do what you want. Don't care when you come home. Don't care if you do come home. No curfew, no expectations. Man, as a 17-year-old, I thought, you, that's the life. but he was the most miserable human being I've ever seen in my life. Because he did not have a sense that anybody cared about him or loved him. See, it's kind of, that, it's almost an oxymoron. You think all this freedom would show love, but it does the exact opposite. The bottom line is, don't give kids everything they want. Your kids are going to gripe when we say no to certain activities and yes to others. They may throw a tantrum when we say yes to something and no to something else. But deep down, they want and need boundaries. They want to know and need to know where the limits are because those limits and boundaries say somebody loves and cares about. Another way we can exasperate our children is with the idea of unrealistic goals. I think too often we can push for, per, per, shoot for perfection. Um, I know that was a struggle for me. Um, I was raised by a dad who was a perfectionist who was raised by a dad who was a perfectionist. And I wanted and the reality is it's not achievable. Is a wheel that you will run and you will run and you will run and you will run. And it is miserable. If you struggle with that, I hope you can find freedom in that. Be done with that. Understand there comes a point where good is good enough. But to expect that out of our children, and I think sometimes the downfall of that is that it is our pride that gets in the way. Our pride. We want to see them achieve what we want them to achieve. We want to see them do more than we did. We want to see them go farther than we went or we have gone. Be careful. 
Be careful because you don't want to exasperate them. And the final way that we can exasperate children is with excessive discipline. Note, keynote, excessive. And I think this will be determined on an individual basis. Some kids can handle more than others. Some need more than others. But if you're always constantly writing them about something, it can wear them out. Take a minute and put yourself in their shoes. Do you like a boss that's always on you? Especially if it's piddly stuff. I mean, if it's like rinky stuff and they're just constantly chewing on you going, come on, come on, come on. It, it, it wears you out. And our kids are no different. I mean, there are struggles in life. Kathy and I, we struggle with this. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we finally came down to, okay, what are the battles worth fighting over? And what are those hills worth dying on? And one of them we finally came to was, we care less what the room looked like. Shut the door. If something comes crawling out of that, I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell on her, she's going to kill me. This was a <clears throat> filthy child. That's all I can say. Filthy child. And it was like when she went away to college, it was like a light switch. I mean, it was like, boom, everything was clean, everything was ordered. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm thinking, where were you like five years ago, child? But it wasn't a hill worth dying on. She had to live in it. I shut the door and not look at it. As long as it didn't stink too bad. What are those hills worth dying on? Okay. I better quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> now, are those the end all be all of how we get exasperated? Not even close. But I just I want to give you a sampling of some things we can do to really, really discourage our kids. Now, here's the beauty of Paul's encouragement. See, he doesn't just stop there. He just doesn't stop with this idea that, that there's this negative, okay? But he finishes out here in verse 4 in, in Ephesians 6. He says, instead, okay, he's talked about the negative. Talked about the negative. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. So the first challenge Paul gives us is to provide nurture for our kids. Can you throw that phrase back up, Miss Donna, please, the, the verse before? Bring them up. Okay, this idea, bring them up. That is a key phrase for us to hone in on. Because again, our children aren't going to get there by themselves. We have to mold them. We have to model life. We have to teach lessons. And we have to nurture them into young adults. That's the goal. That our children grow into Christ-following adults who in turn will mold their children, model life, teach lessons, and in turn nurture their own children into God-loving adults. At least that's the way it's supposed to work but it's painfully obvious in many situations there has been a breakdown in the system. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15 says, a mother is disgraced by a neglected child. We've got to nurture them. That is our God-given responsibility as parents. 
The next challenge Paul gives for us is to provide discipline. And this word is often translated as admonition. It carries the idea of a rebuke or a warning. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 24 says, A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Sometimes we think it's better if we don't. Paul tells us if we don't, we don't love our kids. How heavy is that? If you love your kids, you're going to correct them. You're going to show them the proper way. You're going to do it in love. If we love our kids, we have to step up to the plate. We have to be parents and correct and rebuke and discipline. Is it fun? No. The writer of Hebrews shares this idea with us. Now, this is God toward us, but it's the same thing. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We've all experienced that. Man, it hurts. It is hard. But when you get out on the other side of it and you look back and you're like, you're so thankful that God got you through that and allowed you to experience it. And the truth is, I can't even begin to fathom the type of man or person I would have become if it were not for my mom and dad taking their God-given responsibility of correcting me when I was wrong and out of line and misbehaving. Now, a third challenge that Paul gives is to provide instruction. Now, there is a small caveat that I think we often miss in this passage and overlook. It says to instruct them in What? Instruct them in the Lord. Teach them the things about God. Man, oh man, I think this is so, we, we, we miss the boat so many times. We bring them up in instruction of school. We bring them up in instruction of sports. We bring them up in instruction of hobbies or interests. And we neglect the most important instruction of all, of bringing them up in the Lord. Let me throw some figures out here. Blew my mind, which Honestly, it doesn't take a whole lot. There are 8,736 hours in a year. The average student, if they sleep eight hours, will sleep 2,912 of those hours. 1,350 hours will be spent in school at seven and a half hours a day at 180 days. And at best, at best, If your child is at everything we provide here at church, 104 hours for the year. So if you're expecting the church to step up and do your job, don't get me wrong, the church is vital. But if this is the only place they're getting instruction and being instructed in the Lord, shame on us as parents. Shame on us. As parents. Hey, shared this passage last week, Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road or when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames on your houses and your gates. 
This should be life. Every part of life should be an example of teaching. It should be a time of sharing what God has done, sharing the goodness of God, sharing the grace of God, sharing the hope of Jesus with our kids. Because the reality is there is no greater gift that has ever been given to us. Now, our text doesn't include this. But here's the reality. I would be remiss if I didn't tell us we need to pray for our kids like there is no tomorrow. Our kids face battles that we never dreamed of. Our kids are facing things in school that we could have never even imagined when we were growing up. And if they are not at least daily maybe hourly in our thoughts just saying God protect my child God give me wisdom in raising this child that you have blessed me with God give me discernment in how to handle this issue that we're dealing with God protect my child's heart God, let them know how much you love them. And what it costs you. I hope, I hope if you have not started and that is not a normal process that you will start wearing the carpet out beside your bed because the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy families because when he destroys families he destroys society Father, our children are such a precious gift. Yeah, there are times we just won't kill them. But God, they're a gift from you. There are times they frustrate the hound out of us. But they are a gift from you. God, I pray that we can step up, be the parents that you ask us, that you require us to be.
to be the parents that our, our children so desperately need. So desperately desire. Father, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom as we train our children and point them to you. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray.